this is John Amman. I'm here with Kaya and Film Music Media, and we're here to talk about film music, um, I guess my whole life story, and uh, filmmaking, and all that shit. <laughs> John, thank you so much for, uh, for having me here. It's a real sure. pleasure to sit down and talk with you. Um, so I know we've, we've talked in the past uh, uh, about, you know, we have a couple interviews, but I kind of want to talk about, I guess start over and talk about your, um, your background, and so how did you, because you, you're kind of a jack-of-all-trades I think when when you introduce when you introduce yourself at a party, do you say I'm a composer or do you say I am? <laughs> what is your official when title? I introduce myself at a party. Well, uh, I never get out for one thing, but if I do, I guess I say uh, I'm best known as being a, a, a composer for movies. Uh-huh, so they kind of know, and of course, they still don't know what that means. I mean, oh, you do the sound, you know? No, I do like the music. Oh, you mean like the songs? No. Um, <laughs> No, you did see Jaws, and then half the time it's no, you know. But um, I go okay. Then it's more like dun 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 dun. Oh, you mean the background music? Yeah. <laughs> right. That's what I do. So you're yeah. the background guy. Um, yeah. So how did you get into it? I mean, what what was that kind of initial spark growing up where you were saying, "This is what I'm going to do for a living. I want to pursue film or music." I guess was it music before film or film before music? Uh, no, the music was it was uh, something that just you know as careers go, it happened as something I, le- I least expected to be doing. I mean, mm-hmm. I was a big film music fanatic, um, starting with just uh, being cognizant of music based from the original Star Trek series, which mm-hmm. I've told that story many times. Right, right. Um, but um, what I before I started making movies, I started doing uh, uh, audio productions on, mm-hmm. on cassette tape and I would be multiple voices and my friend would be some voices and then <laughs> I would uh, and then we would score score those with, with uh, soundtrack music and then when I evolved to making movies um, in my parents garage and so forth and mm-hmm. I mean some of the, the impetus for making the movie itself was to accommodate my favorite score or whatever right, right. and I th- found great joy in, in doing the title sequence and having music by Jerry Goldsmith, music by John Williams, music by James Horner, and like five other people, you know, because yeah. um, basically I was temp scoring yeah, the I films I made. That's what I was growing up too. You yeah. shoot them and you be like, music by Hans Zimmer. For me, it's Harry Gregson Williams and John Powell. So, right. <laughs> um, so you kind of got that, uh, yeah, the filmmaking bug. Then, I mean, what did you study in school? Was was it film or was it? Well, uh, I was. I mean, in how far back are you talking about? Like high school, <laughs> like, you know, I was taking, uh, I was in band, of course, right. playing the clarinet, but then there was a crossroads where I could choose between band right. and taking a film course. Okay. And also, my music teacher, or our music teacher in band had been talking about how much you need to know math and fractions to yeah. be a composer, and I was like, goodbye, I'm going <laughs> to go do, I'm going to be a filmmaker. <laughs> so, uh, so then I went off and started making movies, and... Um, you know, and and the music thing was just something that came much later. You're you're known for working with um, Brian Singer a lot. Um, mm-hmm. uh, how did you two meet? Were you guys childhood? I mean, you had the whole kind of bad hat, hairy gang. Uh, you guys go way way back. Well, right? way before that. I mean, it, it, I was the bottom line. I've told the story a million times, but yeah. in case no one's heard it before, um, <laughs> I'll try to tell it differently. I was at USC Film School, and uh, yeah. Brian. Um, was a critical study student there, but he would help out production students as a PA. And um, I was helping a friend of mine out who was the director on a movie Brian was a PA on, mm-hmm. on the set one day. And I was doing the, uh, we, we can never remember who was doing who. One of us was doing the boom mic, and one was doing the, rec- the recordist. <laughs> and, um, and I think he made the first and last joke I ever heard. Um, but I was the one that laughed, and so we started talking. And um, 
he remembered me. And then what happened was, is the film was sort of disassembled because uh, the story really wasn't working. And I came on and because uh, I knew the, the director from directing courses mm-hmm. and kind of re put it together and then came up with an idea of uh, this voiceover because it was a period piece, la la la. Right. So Brian kind of watched me redo a movie. And um, so then from there, uh, he um, had like a diner-esque kind of movie to uh-huh. do like a 20 minute film movie that we shot in a, in a diner and um, asked if I would edit that and then I ended up co-directing it with him. And then from that, from that, that got us the calling card to get the first feature, Public Access, which right. was the first one I basically was writing music for. I guess getting around to your question how this all happened, <laughs> um, I was editing that feature to make a very long story short, yeah. and the, um, the composer dropped out in the 11th hour, and we had a Sundance um, festival deadline. So, uh, you know, I told Brian, I go, you know, um, I know this character inside and out, and I can write the score to this film, and... And uh, he was like, oh, all right, you know. <laughs> Actually, he said, all you do is write all that fag music because, <laughs> because I was doing as a hobby all these like, um, like Quickset Lock Company and uh, Amco video kind uh-huh. of like uh, training videos and stuff, you know, and all light, happy, right. happy, happy music, you know, yeah, yeah, really yeah. flowery, you know. And so I'm like, no, I can, I can write a dark score. And of course, the irony is then from their point, that point on, you, yeah. I was pigeonholed yeah, for, you, for many years as being the dark, sinister guy. I know. You know? You, your horror, thriller kind of era was... I mean, so you're still kind of... You, you, people come to you for that, right? Is that... Well, I've been kind of busy with superhero shit, yeah. so <laughs> they haven't come to me for anything. But I mean, but, uh, I mean no, I mean, luckily, I, I... I mean, I like doing that stuff, but yeah. um, luckily, between the... Um, the two X-Men movies I did, uh, you know, nonstop was one and I just did the nice guys. Yeah, yeah. So they were, luckily they weren't, you know, I, luckily, uh, it's not superhero films and dark sinister. Yeah. It's, it's, a, <laughs> I keep it, I try to keep it as any composer wants to do, um, broken up by different genres and right. so forth. And, and, uh, you know, I think any composer will say that or any filmmaker or whatever, they're most inspired when it's something new, you right. know, and not doing the same old thing. Yeah, copy and paste all the time. Yeah. Um, so, you, I mean, you still edit all of Brian's films uh, to this day. Well, that's blackmail. That's blackmail? Yeah, so. he will <laughs> tell the same story. It's, you know, after we did uh, Public Access, yeah. I was like, I love writing film music. Screw this editing thing, you know. <laughs> and uh, he was like, hell no. You know, you're not going to do Usual Suspects with me unless you're the yeah, editor. <laughs> and, uh, and that sort of has continued this day so um but if you had your way you would just focus on scoring but yeah i mean <laughs> i you know if i'm just doing a spat of film scores i sometimes feel like sometimes we'll get in that space where wow i feel like this low guy in the totem pole uh-huh. i you know as a when i'm working on brian's films i'm sort of like in control of the whole thing yeah, and yeah. there's no one really to answer to but brian and me you know and right. he's got this stark uh director level so um in fact the last x-men they never even asked to hear one cue you know wow um so i I I will miss that, but then yes. when I am like a month into editing one of our films, like fuck this, I mean, yeah. you know, because you know it, it's um, it's a it's managing a film from beginning to end yeah. is a massive amount I of pressure, yeah. and then the score, which is like you know, and that's other thing I can do, and I've told the story a million times, but yeah, um, and it takes me away from writing film scores, so half the scoring community think I died because I'm off making some film for a year or two, right? And um, I guess the wake up call is when I go to the BMI dinner. 
and I sit there and I see my peers walk to the table like five BMI awards or, you know, and I'm like, what am I doing? That's when it dawns on me. What am I doing in the editing room? You know? Yeah. So, um, you know, and so, but you know, it's, I do have a filmmaking need and, um, yeah. so, but it's, yeah, but it comes at a cost. <laughs> but I mean, do you enjoy that process? I mean, do you enjoy piecing together a story and for it, about four weeks? For about four weeks, and then it yeah, kind of I mean, gets... it's it's such a massive amount of pressure. I mean, I do. Yeah. I mean, there are moments where I've created a scene and I'm like, you know, and that and I'm happy with what I did, and yeah. wow, I've created something, you know, wow. But um, I don't know. It's I'm never happy. So, <laughs> you know, so. do you uh, do you temp your own uh, edits? Or? Yeah, yeah. I, um, the, the temping the film is so crucial, and it's right. why there's a lot of shit scores out there because yeah, yeah. you have uh, a film editor that may not be musically inclined. Mm. They'll slap something up, which by association, because it's just something new, no one's heard on a scene that never had music before, like they forever will never be able to imagine anything else Besides. but that crap that was put on there. And then yeah. the composer comes on, and unless he's a composer that has um, a provocative way of explaining why they shouldn't do that, right. um, or if he even has a filmmaking sense, um, we'll just do that. And then you have another score regurgitated that sounds like that, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. Um, So it, the, the temping process for me is extremely crucial to set the tone, to set the type of score I'm going to write. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then I am intimidated by my own temp score because I do such a good job put it on the film. Do you use your own music in a temp score or do you try I to stay away from it? anything that works. Anything I'll that use works. my own music or something else. I don't intentionally stay away from mine. Okay. Um, I'm able to sort of disassociate myself from what it was for, usually. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but when I temp, I temp in a, in a very uh, crazy way. It's uh -huh. like I'll take a bar from a score and then I'll put I'll take a string sustain from another score and put it on top of that and pitch it to oh, be wow, in the same okay. key and then under that I'll put a rhythm. You know, and so by the time I'm done creating this temp score, Sometimes I've created something that doesn't even exist anyway. Yeah, it's um, like a remix. Or, because yeah. I don't, you know, I know what I want to do when I'm looking at the movie. Yeah. So it's not like I don't know what I want and throw stuff on. I know what I want to do, but I can't find it. And so, yeah. and so that's it's very hard for me because it's like you know, okay, and I'm getting older, so I can't remember those scores. And what what was that? What score was that? Where it sounded like this thing I'm looking for, you know? Yeah. So it's it's a really agonizing process, but it's but it's but it's worth it because um, the better the temp, the better the score is going to be. Right. You know. Uh, yeah. So we're talking about working with Brian a little bit, and you've worked on all his films. Is he a hands-on director when it comes to music, or hands-off? I mean, you talked about how they didn't ask to see a note of music studio-wise, I guess, from X-Men, but does he come into your process, and does he love to kind of be there from every step of the way, or is he just, John, go do it? And no, well, he, he, he'll he say, John, go do it, in so many words, um, uh -huh. in terms of... Uh, me temping it and presenting to him what I think is the sound of the movie, you know, right. and the type of music. And if he hates it, he'll say so. But normally he'll trust my instincts and how I'll, I'll create the temp and he'll react to it. I mean, he very rarely will go, I hate that part of the temp. It's normally, mm -hmm. we seem to, I, over the years, it's like, I know if it gives me chills and I think it's cool, he most likely will. If he right. doesn't, I'll scream at him, <laughs> you know. But um, so when the temp's created, then the job is to, outdo the temp okay and it's a high order because i temp in my temp is fucking great so um so then uh yeah we'll have two reviews where he'll come in and it's been in this little studio because i'm building this house right now and it's this little condo and then uh, and i was talking to you earlier how my big screen didn't work on this version of performer so we literally come here and watch cues on this little screen here um and he literally would sit up like this you know and it's like the old days you know but um, but yeah, and then he'll he'll um, 
review a cue as any director would and, and you know either say cool or or right. say I don't like that part or you know whatever but um normally it's it's you know knock on wood it's been pretty um, there's a lot of trust you know yeah, and um, of course, you know he point, yeah. he is a reactor he likes to to put himself in the place of the audience and so he likes to be surprised he doesn't I think he doesn't want to put me on a direction that might take me away from a direction uh-huh. that might have been cool in my head. Right. He doesn't want to ruin that for me or for him. And so um, he... Well, that's cool that he can pick that up, that you're on that kind of... Yeah, and he, he wants goes, me to be inspired yeah, and not, and not cool. feel like I'm, I'm, I'm being put off in some direction I don't want to go. Yeah. And then, and then, um, and then he, if he's wowed or moved, that's all he cares, you know. So. And if he says, John, I don't like that, but you go, I really love it. Do you, do you have I mean, you have that relationship where you can say, I think I'm right? Well, we don't, I mean, <laughs> I think any composer, you know, if they have, uh, as opposed to being defensive, and I think this is a cool piece of music, I think you're crazy, yeah. as opposed to that in, in making a valid argument, well, here's why for the movie I think this is the right, right. thing to do, or, or for this moment and, right. you know, what I was looking to do. But but it's but usually with him it's a visceral thing. If he's not feeling it, he's just saying it like that. Yeah, you know, and usually it's some blanket thing. But uh, but I know him well enough, and he's very similar to Joel Silver, where it's basically, yeah. I don't like that. I hate that. You know, and then just like two or three words, you have to interpret why they don't. But um, but you know, the one thing you do learn in this business is that as defensive and as as great as you think the thing is you as you wrote, the filmmaking side of me knows um, there are many ways to skin a cat. You know, yeah. and and there may be a thousand ways to score a scene. And there's at least 20 of them that are just as good as the other way, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, there's always a different way of, of basically achieving the same, the same thing. Or, or it, may, it may be, in fact, which happens many times, even with me, as well as I know the movie. Right. As intimately as I know it, I've seen it a billion times. Yeah. And I get in here and I write something, even though it's like the temp, and suddenly it doesn't work because it's in a whole new light. And I'm like, wait, or, or as, as well as in the film, it dawns on me like, wait a minute, this is the wrong idea. Yeah. It's completely, you know, even though I did the temp, this, 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 and with this feeling, it's the wrong, completely the wrong take on the scene. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny how it doesn't dawn on you until you're in a different environment. And that also happens on the final dub stage. After you've recorded the score and everything, and suddenly it's like, now it doesn't work, you know, because it's a whole, for some reason, it's a different feeling. Yeah, know? I mean, I... At least when, if I'm either writing something, or you, you need to be in, I don't know if you do the too. I mean, I'll kind of sit there, and I'll try to watch it as someone else. Uh, kind of like, Absolutely. You try to, like, think of what that person's thinking, and it's, yeah. it's a weird thing to explain, but it's just like, I'm imagining how that person would see it, and you yeah. all, all of a sudden you kind of become that person for, like, yeah. the first, like, five minutes or whatever, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a... It's, it's all about the movie. You really gotta divorce yourself from the work you've done, Yeah, and it's about how is this working, like you said, put yourself in the audience perspective. Right, you know? yeah. Um, you share one characteristic, I mean, with one of my favorite directors, Robert Rodriguez, you, you wear many hats. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you've written, I mean, you've directed, written, composed, produced, um... When you are doing, I mean, and you do most of those on like X Men, X Men, you're a producer, writer, composer. Would would you? I mean, when you're living with the film for that long, do you do you feel like you're taking maybe a little bit more ownership of it? I mean, you're Brian's Brian's directing and everything, but do you feel like you're more involved in the creative process and versus if you just came in at the last two weeks and 
slapped a score on something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a freak. So I mean, I, I mean, I think I'm not alone. I mean, I th- I'm very passionate about what I do, even if I have a, a crappy film I've been given to do. I'm, right. You know, I was just talking to some young guy who wants to be composer today, and I'm like talking about attitude and like yeah. every movie you want to make the best movie in the world, right, and, yeah. and and it's like you know only and you convince yourself by the end of the process. Wow, it really is a good movie now. But then you see it two years later on cable, and you realize it was a shitty film. But at least you've deluded yourself because you have. Otherwise, it'll affect the creative process, you know. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm more invested when I've been on a film. That's not true. I mean, in one way, I can't say I'm more invested. I mean, I, no matter what, I want to do a great job. Right, right, but right. Yeah, yeah, um, I have more personally invested for sure on mm-hmm. a film that I've been on for two years, you know. Yeah. And um, goddamn it, if I'm gonna. You know, go through that two years and produce something that piece, that's a piece of shit because um, I so um, so it's, it, it is um, it's like I said it adds the pressure because um, right. I I want to make sure it was all for naught and make the best damn thing I can no matter what the cards I was dealt whether it was a bad script or whatever I gotta um, infuse life into the film as much as I can. Yeah. You know? I do want to talk about a little bit about uh, Urban Legends Final Cut, and that was your only directorial kind of feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, att- how did that come to be? Because you missed out on the first X Men because of that, right? Is right. That- yeah. Yeah. So, well, you know, um, things always come when they're least expected. You know, right. and it's funny how life is because I went to film school for the sole pur- purpose of directing, right? And um, and then when I became a successful composer, I sort of forgot all about that mm-hmm. and then suddenly was asked to direct a movie and I was like oh that's right I forgot I was you know um, I, I, I was working with Phoenix Pictures on App Pupil with Brian mm-hmm. and they sort of had a uh, bird's eye view of the process and um, and they came to me uh, after that movie and they said you know we would really love you to direct a movie and I'm like oh okay you know um, so what is it and um, <laughs> you know <laughs> I I always say it's like when I, your grandmother gives you like you know some polka dotted po- socks. They're like, oh, thanks, because you know they said, well, it's Urban Legends too, and I was like, now I'm not trying to slam the movie. I, I'm right. proud of the work I did on the film. Yeah. But um, you know, I was like, oh, I don't want to do that because yeah. um, this is much longer. It's a long story. I'll try to truncate. And I was yeah. like, thank you, but I'm I'm not going to do a teen horror film on the heels of teen horror now being a joke because of screen movies. It's right. now. Yeah, yeah, How do you yeah. make a film without being a parody of itself, especially if you're trying to take it seriously? And um, you know, all people, my music agent Richard Kraft, like, what are you crazy? You know, you're being offered a movie. You know, um, uh, he's like, Cameron was offered Piranha, and all he did. I go, yeah, but I'm like, but it's like a joke now, teen horror. <laughs> so then the studio, who really wanted me to do it, they said, you know, we will make it in a different kind of movie if you want than the screen film we'll make it like a Hitchcock movie or something higher brown more intelligent and yeah. I'm like okay but it's the sequel to a movie where a dog exploded in the microwave yeah. or something like you know people are being force fed Drano <laughs> right. so it's like do you, aren't the fans of Urban Legend 1 going to wonder why it's suddenly a, like a Hitchcock movie but nevertheless I, I uh, long story short I said yeah and, um, and we set out to make that film mm-hmm. and and it tested really highly uh, the first couple tests, but everyone wanted to know, like, why does it take so long for someone to die? Because it was, was off-screen death was right. the first death. So then we went and we did this movie, the movie, we did this scene about a girl having her head chopped off in a window with a kidney, urban legend. <laughs> and I was like, cool, if I'm if my marching orders are to do something screwed up, I'll do it. And I had a blast, you yeah. know, and I came with all these touches, like the, the, um, the kidney being, you know, 
drop off the window and the dog eating it and all that. And, <laughs> and um, I just went for it, you know, and it was fun, you know. Yeah, so I would have yeah. totally done that kind of movie too. Right. But the horror isn't my thing, you know. I mean, um, not because I'm scared of it or anything. I just, it's not something I run out to go see. Um, but, you, but then, I mean, you've also scored plenty of horror films too, not just, I mean, directing, I mean, Halloween H2O. And yeah, I've Acid scored them and... and I'll get into them, you know. And, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, at the end of the day, uh I was proud of what I did on it because I took it from something that was was almost destined to be a video release and got right. the studio excited enough about it to put a lot of marketing behind it and make it number one at the at the box office that weekend. Um, uh, lost my train of thought, but um, uh, so I gave it my all for what yeah. it was. Would and, you would you direct again? Yeah, but I really turned my life upside down like I always do and it's mm-hmm. like I don't want to do that if there's not something to really believe in I mean right. I get, I've been offered things but it's like why would I do that to myself if I don't really believe it I don't need to go out there and prove myself to anybody like you know I'm a director you know it's like yeah. if I, I don't I don't need to do that so right. um, yeah I would and I'd love to but I have to believe in it like it's got to yeah. be something that is going to get me out of bed every morning and work 15 16 hours and you know, make my personal life a wreck, which is what happens on Brian movies. You know, yeah. I finish the movie and I realize, oh, my personal life is a complete disaster. So, <laughs> um, you know, there's only so many things that would make me go do that, you know. Do you ever get like the, I mean, do you have an inkling to maybe write a screenplay and direct that yourself? I mean, do you have ideas that like, <laughs> haven't been given to you that you kind of have cooking inside of you? I mean, Here's is the there... thing about writing a screenplay, and I don't know if I would be good at it. So okay. I'm great at analyzing screenplays. Yeah, and, um, producer, I'm, I'm yeah. great. I believe I'm great at, uh, at um, as a director would do, um, uh, taking a script and massaging it and mm-hmm. making it better, coming up with new scenes and working with the writers and so forth, which I did on, on Urban Legends. But... Um, uh, I just lost my train of thought. You were saying you weren't going to be good a screen. Oh right. So someone said, (laughs) so someone told me, if you write a screenplay, we will make that movie. Yeah. It's like someone telling me, like, if you write a symphony, we will perform it. Then I'll be like, cool, (laughs) I'll do it, and I'll probably, I might do a great job. But screenplays are like, well, you write it, and it may never be made. And so it's for me, it's like. Uh, I, I need to know it's going to be made, yeah. you know, so um, it's hard for me to get, especially if I got other things going on, like career yeah. or films I want to, uh, I've been offered to score, I'm not going to, uh, I don't know, it's hard, again, it's all about time, there's like so many time, so much time mm-hmm. to devote to all these options I have in my life, you yeah. know, I wish I could have one guy go direct a film, another guy go score a film, and yeah. one guy, you know, I don't know, go edit a movie, and you know, <laughs> but uh, I even like so many, you know, sentient Right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, coming back to X-Men, uh, I mean, you've done X2, uh, Days of Future Past, and, and Apocalypse. Um, I mean, the other filmmakers have had, gotten their chance to do their X-Men films and X-Men-related films. What do you think of the other ones? I mean, a lot of shit goes on X3, and then and to hear other composers also to kind of take their crack at it. I mean, is that mm-hmm. interesting to see another person's take on something that you're kind of known for and, and Brian's known for and someone comes in and like, oh, let's see what they... That's, I think it's... I guess interesting is a good word. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm a little biased. Right. Because yeah. X-Men 2, to me, even though there was an X-Men 1, was... Um, I think it was the best X-Men movies. Yeah. And 
we put so much into that and so uh, both for the score and for the filmmaking behind it and everything so it's hard to not be biased against any other one's version <laughs> right. of of the movies you know so it's it's i i, I would only have a biased opinion you know uh, do you would you do you watch the other ones and go well i would have done that i mean of course <laughs> Because I remember when we talked after you came back for Days of Future Past, I'm like, what are you excited about? You're like, bring back my fucking themes! <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah, I know... I mean, whatever. I know behind the scenes, the, the uh, composers were always yeah. pressured to use my theme. And for whatever reason, maybe they can't stand my theme, whatever, <laughs> want to use something else. And, um, and they went through hell with a studio yeah. uh, to not use my theme. And so, uh, you know... and it, So, yeah, sure, of course... I'm biased because I see that as, as the theme yeah, yeah. of X-Men, and yeah. um, it also was personally satisfying to yeah, yeah. put to to put it back into the the lexicon of of the films. You know, mm -hmm. you, we were talking about urban legends, and that was your kind of big directorial uh, effort. Um, did being a director? I mean, you went to film school, uh, but now that you were working on a on a feature film, studio film. Working with actors, working with uh, another... I mean, well, you added to that one, sorry. So working with uh, right. other producers and other people doing the, the hats that you usually wear, um, did it give you a new perspective on their job and how, I mean, it gets relate to them better? Absolutely. You know, when having been in the trenches in all these positions, you know, and having been a director, I have great sympathy for um, any director I'm working with, you know, mm -hmm. because by the time I come on as a composer they've been through a whole lifetime of right. crap on the one movie, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, from pre-production through shooting and all the things and, uh, that have gone wrong and been, been fixed and, and basically a lot of drama that I don't even know about, you know? Yeah. And so, um, uh, and I know no matter how confident I was, I was doing the right thing as a director, you're paranoid as hell. Yeah. And I know that goes for any director, no matter how seasoned there are, there's a degree of paranoia. And you will see a newcomer walk into the process that hasn't been part of it, and you will you will uh, be at the edge of your seat to know what they're going to say about the thing you just presented them. You know, because yeah. they're the only outsider. The composer is the almost the first outsider to see the film. Right, right. And yeah. you're really interested to see what they want to say, what they want to. Well, in my case, it was me, <laughs> but but I mean, I can understand how. Uh, because you're hinging on, on the words, uh, uh, anyways, of outsiders. So, mm -hmm. um, and you're, like you said, and, you, and you're super freaked out about what they might say and paranoid and so forth. And so I yeah. totally understand that when I'm working with a director. And, um, and, and we kind of touched on this before. I understand that there's many ways to skin a cat on, on, on a scene. Yeah. And you have to understand. And so I, under, you know, um, and, and, and what, what the pragmatic problems may be with the film that I've been unaware of, you know, yeah. as a composer. But, but yeah, I mean, um, the process to me was the the part I miss about directing is, is uh, a I get to meet a lot more people. Yeah, <laughs> I'm set and, you know, uh, up in here. <laughs> yeah, I get out of my out of the room and social. Um, but um, uh, it's 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 um, I was working with the actors, which I love doing. Um, I love huddling, especially on a film as goofy as Urban Legends was, um, mm -hmm. I was like huddling with a bunch of little filmmakers and mm -hmm. how do we pull off this line of dialogue? Yeah. How do we say it in such a way where it's not going to get a laugh? You know, And so I really valued huddling with my actors and, and figuring out a way to pull it off, yeah. <laughs> pull off the, the most insane you know, thing. 
Um, and then, and then uh, coming up with, with things on the fly as you do when mm-hmm. you're shooting. But um, uh, yeah, th- those those parts I missed, and uh, I miss. But uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, that would be awesome being out back in the director's chair. So um, <laughs> yeah, hopefully the right project. The right project. Comes. Um, yeah. I know you've so you've worn a lot of hats. And uh, you've done almost every job behind there there is to do behind the camera. And you said you wouldn't be good at writing, but is there anything that you haven't done? I, I don't know. You don't I know. Be good at it. I don't know what I mean. Anyway. Is there anything that you haven't done that you kind of go, huh? That'd be interesting to try. Like maybe like cinematographer or um, something like. Like, is there anything that? Might I would love for? just to produce a movie because I I want that life sometimes. <laughs> where can I just lay poolside and like. <laughs> I produce this movie. Uh, I mean, a producer is such a nebulous title. Yes, it can be yes, anything. It right. can be some someone who's super hands-on and, and nuts and bolts, and someone who has nothing to do with the movie at all. That's a title, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I, I would love to to find a property and bring it into a studio and have the film made and not have to make it. You know, right. I mean, I would and, and, and supervise it or or uh, be there as a creative director, but mm-hmm. but um, to not have the daily anxiety of having to actually. <laughs> physically create the thing you know um, yeah. that would be cool yeah uh, one of my i asked that to, to john powell and he said stuntman <laughs> stuntman yeah stuntman. that wouldn't be good for me <laughs> i'm way too fragile <laughs> so the x-men movies i mean they're immensely popular um i have my, my best friend is like absolutely obsessed with them i mean the action figures comics and all through the movies and everything and he looks up to you and brian and everything um it's also uh really big in the you know the lgbt community because of the people see it as a, the metaphor for mm-hmm. gay rights and gay right. equality i mean do you do you take that into consideration and kind of take pride with um kind of this being kind of this uh kind of shining example for in, in, in film and culture yeah you know i was never a comic book fan never read right. the comics so when i was recruited into x-men you know and learned about them and everything that of course resonated with me right a gay guy, you know, um, but and of course it's a lot more than being yeah. gay. It's it's about it being you know a misfit or not being accepted right. in, for instance, society or whatever. You're gay or black or or fat or whatever. Yeah. But um, uh, but when we did that scene in the living room with Bobby in X Men Two, I thought it was so bold, you know, mm-hmm. his coming out scene, and I was really proud that the studio was completely behind it, you know. Yeah. And but what's interesting about that scene, if you're totally not on board with what the allegory is, you don't yeah. people don't get it. I thought it was, you know, Hit really hitting people over the head, you know, it's like, are you sure you can't change, you know, all that stuff. But um but I so that that really it was just even more an added thing to get to embrace that experience in that film. And right. that plus the story itself was great and um uh the cast was I mean it was just such a uh a high point, and uh, it was very exciting for me. It was my first, uh, aside from Cable Guy, it was my first big studio right. film. I guess I would say my second big studio film uh, to write a score for, but like a big score, like yeah. a lot of music and so forth. So right. to me, it was a very exciting time. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, looking for. I mean, how do you see the future of the X Men franchise going? I mean, now. There's so, I mean, superhero films are so... I mean, Marvel has exploded. I know X-Men is still with Fox. And, um, I mean, do you see it just continuing? Are they gonna, do you think they're just going to milk that franchise as far as it goes? I, I, mean, I really don't know. I mean, I don't know if they know. What would you like to see from it? Would you like to see it kind of create some, some more arcs? Like, focus on a little bit... I don't know. I mean, how do you see it kind of going? Or how would you like to see it go? Like, uh, You know, I don't know enough about 
the X-Men or comic book universe, world yeah. to even know. You know, it's like I read the script, I respond to it as a story, uh-huh. and um, I research the characters once the script. I, I, I wouldn't even know what to say, you know. Um, you know, if it's time travel, that's always cool. <laughs> Who doesn't like a time travel movie, you know? So if it involves that, that's that's even better. But, you guys I mean, did you know. an amazing time travel movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as complicated as a time travel film is, yeah. at least uh, it, there's almost an, es- um, an escape hatch to be able to go to another time zone and come back editorially yeah. to yeah. keep the thing interesting, where it's actually harder to do a, f- a film that's completely linear in a right. way. In yeah, a way, yeah. it's harder because there's no escape from the linear path you have to go on. I mean, right. you can swap scenes and so forth and change things up, but um, and that's why Apocalypse was such a difficult movie because it had the obligation of having to introduce all of these characters. Yeah. Then when Apocalypse comes on, he has to recruit each of the characters, and so. Um, it was, and uh, there was really no other solution than what we came up with to try to streamline as much as possible. Um, but really, the shit doesn't go down until I think it's halfway through a four. Yeah. You know? So whose decision was it to put your put yourself in the movie? Was that yours? <laughs> no. Well, did Brian say we're giving you a cameo, or did you? Really no, like... Brian didn't even know what happened. <laughs> um, it uh, on the last film, I was supposed to be a, like on a TV monitor or something in the yeah. background of the White House. And um, long story short, someone screwed up, and I ended up end up doing. It. Actually, originally it was supposed to be the band guy, uh-huh. but it took too many too many days of time. I yeah, couldn't yeah. spend the time out there on the lawn to be the band director. So uh, I got a call from Todd Hallowell, who was the line producer on the film or executive right. producer. Um, and uh, he said, okay, go down to costumes and we're going to fit you in a military thing. And of course, I'm like, what? Because I'm so busy, you know. Um, and he goes, we, we're going to get your cameo. Because he felt bad the last time. So I'm like, all right. So I really was working half the day in my editing room in this military outfit waiting for them to call me down to the set. So he calls me down there and, um, and it was a full-on dialogue scene. Yeah, I remember you said that. Yeah, and I'm like, I mean, the scene made no sense at all. But I did it, you know, and it wasn't bad, you know. And um, and then, you know, in the back of our minds, that was going to be used or not used, that scene. So then yeah. I was in the other scene where just I was reacting to the message around the world, and then we used that. And, um, you know, and that was sort of a, a that was a splinter unit shoot, mm-hmm. so Brian wasn't oh, aware so yeah, yeah, yeah. of that going on. So then when uh, I presented the cut to him... Uh-huh. He was like a double take, like, what? Was that you? Or no. So, yeah. but it's like, and I th- he was initially like, hmm, you know, how dare you have a big cameo? But it's like, it's like, dude, you got one in the last film as a little camera guy. So, you know, everyone you. got one. Um, so, I mean, you, 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 we talked about being pigeonholed uh, a little bit for your, your thrillers and your horrors, and of course, now you're doing big superhero films i mean are there any particular genres that speak to you more than others i mean you said you don't really respond to horror as a, as a viewer that much but i mean this is like would you have you done like a romantic comedy would there i uh, i don't think you haven't done a romantic comedy yeah, would you do romantic i was comedy? just about to say any genre i would yeah. love to do but that, I, don't know, I don't know about that yeah, one right. i mean yeah i don't know that would be my strong suit um uh-huh. um having said that i love doing you know light and emotional music but yeah. um that's that's something i'm looking to do more of but um a rom-com? Probably because I would never see, go see a rom-com. Ever. <laughs> ever. Um, ugh. But, um, yeah. But you know what? If it's a good story, having said that, it's all about if it's a good yeah, story true, yeah. and you're responding to it and writing music to it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, I, I love... Because you've done like films like Astro Boy. I think you'd be, do, do great like a big animation film, I think. Well, 
I would die a happy person. Like I think John Powell said the same thing. You yeah. know, Astro Boy was a high point of my of my career, not career wise, but right. uh, personal wise, it was the most fun I've ever had on a film. Yeah. And it just like it was a joyful, happy place to be. Yeah. After I just got done with uh, uh, Valkyrie, a very dark film, yes, a very yeah. hard film to make, plus a relationship that was collapsing, you know. Yeah. So it's like it, I just need this happy place to go. And um, it's the only time I've ever written I've written a score where I couldn't wait for them to come over and look at cues. Really? Normally you dread that. At least I do. Yeah. I toss during the whole night before, the whole day before is is uh, <laughs> uh, productive, productive, productiveless. No. Productive. Uh, not not productive. <laughs> not productive at all because just worry about them coming over and looking at cues and yeah. then and then that blowing up my whole house of cards schedule if something goes wrong. But um, yeah, in Astro Boy, it was like uh, this totally this love fest and the director was was so awesome. People in animation are so more well adjusted and happy people. Yeah. And um, and we went to London and his parents met my parents. It was love fest yeah. and I, I I I did this great score and then um, I think the film made opened with. $3 million for the whole weekend tanked. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, that was really depressing and probably more so for the director who spent probably two or three years of his life yeah, on it. of course. Um, but that was a huge inspiration for me and um, I would, you know, um, I was, you know, obviously not happy because I was like, wow, I would love to do this. Yeah. And, um, but if it doesn't matter how good your music is, if the film tanked, right. you know, no one, no one that matters is going to see it. Yeah. So, um, or take it seriously. So that that was uh, that was hard, you know. But that's yeah. been my career. So I had a lot of, uh, you know, my best work is for films that no one ever saw. You right. Know? So, yeah. Pixar, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> so jumping back a little bit back to editing a little bit. Um, what kind of? I mean, since you only work with Brian's films, I guess you have a little bit more of a product protective bubble of a, maybe a longer leash but did the studios ever give you uh at, like notes on like the length or the or the, the the pacing or anything is that something that comes from like the studio says well we don't like this or is that just kind of you just deal with brian through that i mean no i mean the studio will chime in because we have our we have our screening for the studio so right. we have to unveil at some point yeah. the movie uh after a certain matter of weeks they have contractually they they yeah. have to see the film and often if we feel good about the film we'll bring them in and look at scenes and stuff like that they um they give the distance but also uh give their views you yeah, know yeah, yeah, but they don't but it's i think it's a very respectful process and so after they see the film they will give comments but at, at this first screening it's not normally about pacing it's about generally if things are working or jiving and mm-hmm. um and then as we have many more screenings it will you know they'll be more uh nitpicky in terms of like you know this section feels a little slow or whatever yeah. but it's really they, they they talk about pacing specifically it's really about scenes working or being engaging and um and length is not really really a decree it's mm-hmm. just about how it feels which is good yeah i mean uh this arbitrary has to be this many minutes long is, is silly you know um you know and it's in and it was and we're all on the same page we want to make a film that doesn't feel too long and, right and um we all wish the last film could have been shorter but you know it just to had do. to yeah. be what it was you know yeah. um, i mean when you first when you put that first cut together i mean i know you hear this like oh the first cut of of Terrence Malick's film was seven hours. I mean, is there oh. is the first cut usually that like just pretty much putting together all the footage? No, or it, I'm a little really... different. I mean, the editors work in different ways. Right. Um, I try to find cut and anticipate 
all the things that I'm going to go and do them now, mm-hmm. only because I've got this other thing i got to do, which yeah, is write the score. Yeah. And so I'm really concerned about not spending all of our time working on a problem child, who, mm. which is with this behemoth bloated thing, which we're going to yeah. spend all of our time trying to shape this thing. I'm never going to have the time to go write. So from the moment we start shooting, I have to have sort of this clairvoyance about yeah. everything that's going to go wrong. That's why I'm a glass half empty kind of person because <laughs> I have to anticipate every possible thing because I want to leave there with as much as we can, as we as much as we can shoot, right. um, and have as little reshoots as possible because the more extensive the reshoots, the more problem child I have with very little time to to plug it all in in yeah. time to get the film together, score the movie, and so forth. So right. um, I have a really vested interest more than anyone you know to to produce the leanest movie as our first cut so i'm uh this one was uh, this was the longest first cut i've ever had probably gets the longest film we ever done yeah uh, but it was 240 and it okay. came out at 215 i think oh, so wow. um yeah but the last one i i i was i, I might be, it was i was 10 minutes within 10 minutes of the, of the running point. time i wow. think it was 210 the film was two hours or something like well, that. That's really wow. That's pretty good. Yeah, because yeah. you know, you know, I have. A, it's like I look at a scene. I go, that's never going to be in the film ever. Right. You know, and then sometimes it's like, I know this scene's not going to be in the film, but but there's only so many things I can convince people to cut right now. So yeah. we'll, I'll hang it around for a while, but it's it's doomed. <laughs> the scene is doomed. <laughs> so you already know it's fate. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. it easier to recut a scene or rescore a scene? Like if someone says, I don't like this cue, can you redo it? Or I don't like this scene, can you recut it? Is it does recutting a scene of because I feel like it would be a domino effect where if you sh- mess something up here, it can mess something up here. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I I would say probably easier to recut a scene than rescore a scene, yeah. but um, it is a domino effect. I mean, you change right. one thing and it has a ripple effect for the rest of the yeah, of the yeah, act yeah. or the rest of the reel. Right. Um, it's amazing. A couple cuts can throw everything off. Wow. So, um, and that's what you know you. You go to a visual effects review, and uh, Brian will see a visual effect, and mm-hmm. they all have handles on them. There are another eight frames on each side, really? and the, the the effect looks cool. He goes, "Open the cut, put even more in," you know. And yeah. I'm like, "Okay, but if we keep doing that, we're gonna throw off the uh-huh. rhythm that we had." I mean, we we opened the cut up quite a bit and extended shots over and over, and it didn't throw things off as much as I had feared. But that was my fear, you know. Right. Looking outside of what you do for a living, I mean, what what are what are your what are your hobbies and I guess things that you do between projects to recharge I mean you talked about when we talked about a little bit balancing personal life and and business life I mean the life you lead right now I mean when you're between I know you're you're on kind of a break right now for like a few months I mean is this a a time to recharge yourself creatively I mean are you just working on yourself no well yes it's (laughs) it's a time to to rekindle the joy that got me into this in the first place the the joy of creation right of creating things, and um, you know, as like I said, as I get older, um, and I've sacrificed more and more of my personal life to do what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, you know, when the film ends, it suddenly dawns on me, like like I said, what a catastrophe my personal <laughs> life is. And you know, half my friends went off and got married, or boyfriends, or girlfriends. Yeah. And it's like so okay, and it's a wake up call. Like wait a minute, I couldn't do that, and so. Um, yeah, and so I kind of emerged from this film losing, not losing, but I mean yeah, friends, yeah. but I mean, but they're, you know, not going to be around much. So, yeah, and so um, I just, I I don't want to get on a project and resent the project. 
Yeah. Because it's keeping me away from fixing what's wrong with my personal <laughs> life. I don't know if I can fix it in the next four months, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I, 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 t- I told my agent, I told give me like four months to yeah. fix things. You yeah. know, if something comes up, great, but I mean, really don't look hard. But um, I, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> basketball i mean what do you have like, oh, that'd be a disaster <laughs> so uh trip over my own big feet but, you tra- you're traveling a bit i mean i, I travel yeah. sometimes i think i'm traveling so much to escape the reality of yeah. my life <laughs> so um or get out of la but um you know it was weird for me because my hobbies turned into my career and so yeah, i mean yeah, and so the trick is you know when your hobby comes your career then you associate it with anxiety and stress and long hours and you have to right. sort of i have to sort of find out what can keep me excited about what i do um and not have so much of those associations, you know. Um, so, yeah, because I used to write music as a hobby, and then it became my job. And and I, I'm sad to say I don't want to come in this room and right now and write right. stuff. Um, so I mean, I mean, I, I think I find that interesting because I know you're you're very fortunate and lucky, and you don't want to sound jaded or anything. But it does, and I I've heard other people say like they. Some people don't even live here, like directors. I know Steve McQueen or Meryl Streep. They don't live in this city because they, yeah. they, it kind of ruins the magic of what film is to them. And I guess what drove them to be passionate about well, it. Maybe that's younger. the answer. Maybe I should move. Although I'm building a house now here, <laughs> so I'm committed. But I guess uh, uh, is yeah. it is it hard to? I guess the business kind of mix in with the creative side, and it kind of almost it doesn't become. I guess that's creatively rewarding. I don't know if that's the the, the way to say it. Yeah, it gets kind of tainted. Yeah, you know, I mean. The reason I got into this was purely for the joy of doing it. I never even thought yeah. about even... I mean, when I was writing music as a hobby, I never thought, I'm going to be a film composer someday. I just did it because I wanted to do yeah, it, no to like, express myself. Yeah, it's all about expression, you know. Um, in fact, when I got Cable Guy, I was like, they're going to pay me what? You know, I didn't <laughs> even know if you even got paid much to do this. I right. mean, that was in the old days, before 2008, where yeah. you got paid them obscene amount of money for like <laughs> even small films. But but I, as a first-time composer, like yeah. for my really first big movie, they were going to pay me this really amazing fee. I'm like, wow, I didn't yeah. know, you know. But, so I always say, never, you know, like, like they always say, not just me. Right. It, it will follow. If you do something for the joy of it, and yeah. you become successful, then the money will follow. But but you should never get into something because you're going to make money at exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. It's just completely the wrong reason, you know. Right. Um, and uh, yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, other than that, I, you know. And then filmmaking was a hobby, and and that became a career. So right. um, be careful. Be careful of your hobbies, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah. Other than traveling and trying new restaurants, I guess I'm pretty boring. Watching <laughs> South Park and Star Trek. <laughs> That sounds like an amazing night right South there. Park so. is my litmus test, by the way, <laughs> on any date. Seriously, because it just sizes up the person. If they don't yeah. like South Park, okay, if you don't know it, that's okay. But if you don't like it, you're off. You're, 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 off the, you're dead you're to done. me. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so I, I, I don't know if you can talk about it a little bit, but I think uh, Brian is setting up 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea right now. Is that mm. the next, the big thing that's on the horizon? I guess so. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's <laughs> these things are it's it's like early days for that. It's right. in development, and um, you know, uh, it's another going to be producing, editing, scoring. It's I guess it's, I I hope it's up to me. Yeah. <laughs> this time, you know, I mean, we'll see. You know, uh, I would l- love to score a film like that. Right. That would be that would be you know something different, um, epic and emotional. Uh, it is an emotional story, but um, mm-hmm. different than what I've been doing. So right. that's always, like I said, embraced. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, 
John, I think I'm, I'm, I'm out of questions for you right now, but uh, yeah. thank you so much for your time. It's sure. been so enlightening, and uh, I'm really grateful for sitting down with you today. So. Thanks for coming. Yeah. <laughs>